Hello and welcome. My name is Pastor Shane Britt, and it is such an honor to have you join our podcast today. I pray that you will find something uplifting and encouraging in the word you are about to hear. Also, please feel free to connect with us via Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. I'm so excited about what you're about to hear. Let's dive right into the Word of God. The Word continuously brought me back to the subject that I did not get a chance to really expound upon, and I feel for this First Family Wednesday that uh, this would be the word for this hour to help and encourage someone in the struggles of life that you may be going through. I preached to you on that Sunday the prayer of Job. And if I could just put part two on this, I think this would be a great segue into what the Lord would have for us. In the book of Job, and when you look at his story in chapter one, it gives the account of the story and how Job became such a popular subject or a face in Old Testament history. We find the account of Job and the story of Job opens like this. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a pretty good guy to me. Does anybody else will agree with me on that? That's uh, uh, I would have to say Job would probably be one of the ones that you would want on your BFF list. He's one that feared God and he hated wrong. That's the kind of people you want to hang out with because if you hang out around people that love God and hate wrong, you're, you're going to end up okay. So not only was he a good man, not only was he a man that feared God and eschewed evil, but he was a blessed man. Somebody say a blessed man. Seven sons, three daughters. Back then, the more children you had, it was the blessings of the Lord for you, to, for you to have that many arrows in your quiver. He had 10. 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys. I would say he was a blessed man. But regrettably, Job's friends are not able to endure the mystery. Somebody say mystery. The mystery of his suffering. And I think that's sometimes what causes us much perplexing. The perplexities of life is when we don't understand the mystery of our sufferings. And when we don't understand the mystery of our sufferings, we jump to conclusions about its source. I'm going to help somebody tonight in this house. The first of his three friends after the great calamity, ten funerals in one day. 7,000 sheep taken from this earth, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, all of the blessings of God literally evaporated right before his eyes. And your three closest friends immediately have opinions. They have their opinions. The first of three, Eliphaz, acknowledges that Job has been a source of strength to others, but he turns to put the blame on Job, suffering squarely on Job himself. Listen to what he said in Job 4. Think now, he says, who that was innocent ever perished, 
Or where were the upright cut off? As I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. He immediately is starting to think, you must have done something wrong. That's why this has happened. Job's second friend, Bildad, says much the same. See, God will not, in Job 8.20, see, God will not reject a blameless person nor take the hand of evildoers. This is his friends. This is his inner circle. And Zophar, his third friend, repeats almost the same refrain in Job 11. If iniquity is in your hand, put it far away. Do not let wickedness reside in your tents. Surely then you will lift up your face without blemish. You will be secure and will not fear. Your life will be brighter than the noonday. Now those are the, those are the summaries of, of his three friends. And their reasoning goes to a, it goes to a subject matter called syllogism. And you may have never heard of this. This is a form of reasoning in which a conclusion is drawn from given or assumed propositions. So when we assume something, we, we automatically think, well, this is the reason why it's happening. This is the reason why this happened to you. God sends calamities upon wicked people only. That's a false syllogism. You have suffered a calamity, then you must be wicked. That's a false syllogism. Job himself avoids this false syllogism, but it is very commonly accepted by individuals, and I'll even say spirit-filled people, in our mind, when something bad happens, we automatically revert to a think, what did I do wrong? Have I sinned? What, 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 did I do something? Did I, did I not do something? Did I say something? Did, we go down this rabbit trail of, of thinking and another description, it's called the theology of divine retribution. It assumes that God blesses those who are faithful to him and punishes those who sin. And, and that, that, that theology is not entirely without biblical support because there's many cases in which God sends calamity, he sends punishment, just like he did Sodom and Gomorrah. But others often experience things that bear out this theological position as well. But in most situations, most situations, things do turn out better when we follow God's ways than when we forsake them. However, God does not always work that way. There are times when life just happens. There are just times that God says, I'm going to rain on the just and the unjust. There are times when God says, I've got more faith in you than you have in yourself. I just believe the story of Job is of the faith of God. Let that sink in for him. Do you mean God has faith? You better believe God has faith. If God had enough faith in Job that he looked at Satan and said, have you tried my servant Job? Have you tried him? Don't tell me God don't have faith. God's got more faith in you than sometimes we even have in ourselves. And that's what I want us to take a firm grip on tonight. In Job's case, the theology of divine retribution is not true because God says that Job is a righteous man. 
God said this about Job. Not Job about himself, but the creator of the heavens and the earth said this is a righteous man. But Job's friend's devastating error is to apply a generalization to Job's situation without knowing what they're talking about. Anyone who has spent time with a suffering friend knows how hard it is to remain present without trying to give answers. Because we think within our own ability, even after prayer, that I can somehow lighten the load. It's excruciating to suffer silently with a friend who must rebuild life piece by piece without a certainty about the outcome. Our instinct, our human instinct, is to investigate what went wrong. What'd you do? What'd you say? Identify, and then try to identify a solution. But then we imagine we can help our friend eliminate the cause and get back to normal as soon as possible. But knowing the cause, we will at least know how to avoid the same fate ourselves. I think that's probably, if I had to go down the thought pattern without knowing these friends, they were trying to help Job in some way, some form or fashion. And like we are many times, we try to, man, I just wish I had an answer, but there's sometimes you don't have an answer. There's just sometimes you don't have the words. There's just sometimes you don't know what to say. And it's excruciating to watch someone suffer. Sometimes you say, I know words fail me, but I want you to know I'm praying for you. Sometimes that's the best answer to give somebody. But we would rather give a reason for the suffering, be it right or wrong, than to accept the mystery at the heart of suffering. Job's friends succumbed to this temptation. It would be foolish to imagine that we would never do the same. How much harm have we as well well-intended Christians, how much harm have we caused by giving pious-sounding answers to suffering even though we have no idea what we're talking about? It's all for the best. It's part of God's plan. God never sends people more adversity than they can handle. How arrogant to imagine we know God's plan. How foolish to think we know the reasoning for anyone's suffering. We don't even know the reason for our own suffering. I'm trying to help us. It would be more truthful and far more helpful to admit, I don't know why this happened. No one should, no one should have to go through this. But I've heard people say, in the absence of, uh, in, in loss, well, they're in a better place. Well, to you they may be in a better place, but for to me, they're not in a better place. You, you hear where I'm coming from? But if we can give that sound voice, I don't know what happened. If we can do this and then remain present without trying to figure out all the answers, without trying to give, give that per every answer that they may need, we may become God's agent for compassion. Just this day, friends of ours, acquaintances in South Alabama, had an un the Tarantine family just lost their son-in-law. Their son-in-law and daughter were out on the porch in Guatemala watching a football game and three armed robbers come up to rob them. The wife managed to escape. 
but they shot her husband, tragically died. I don't have the answers for that. Doing missions work in Guatemala, serving in the kingdom of God, reaching children and being, uh, being ambassadors of God. I don't, I don't have answers, but I'm glad at the end of the day I can pray and say, God, send your angels of comfort. I don't know why that happened. I don't understand the suffering that this lady is going through in this family, how they're going to get the body back and all the funeral expenses. I don't understand all of that. But I know one thing. I don't know why this happened. But my God is faithful to comfort those that mourn. My God is able to bring hope and rest and comfort in Jesus' name. Job's friends can't lament with Job or even acknowledge that they lack a basis for judging him. They are bent on defending God and placing blame on Job. Oh, that's that, if you just catch that right there. How many times are we trying to defend? God don't need defending. God don't need defending. We're bent on defending God and placing the blame on Job. As the friend's speech is continuing, I'm trying to hurry. Their rhetoric becomes almost increasingly hostile. Listen to the face with self in, the self-imposed choice of blaming Job or blaming God. They harden their hearts against their friend. Job 22.8 said, There is no end to your iniquities, says Eliphaz. And then he invests some iniquities to charge against Job. You have given no water. You have given no water to the weary to drink and you have withheld bread from the hungry. Listen to this man. You have sent widows away empty-handed and the arms of the orphans you have crushed. How would you like to have this guy as your friend when you're sitting here dealing with the grief and loss? Zophar's last speech observes that wicked persons will not enjoy their riches because God will make their stomachs vomit them up again, Job 20 and 15, and that they will give back the fruit of their toil and will not swallow it down. From the profit from their trading, they will get no fruit of their enjoyment. This is an appropriate writing of the wicked's wrongdoing that in Job 20, 19, they have crushed and abandoned the poor. They have seized a house that they did not build. The reader knows when you read the word, that this does not apply to Job, but they're assuming. They're trying to find why Job is going. Why is Zophar so eager to blame Job? Are we sometimes too eager to follow in Zophar's footsteps when our friends face failures in work, in life, in career, whatever the case may be? The book of Job demands that we see ourselves in the faces of Job's friends. We too presumably know right from wrong and have some sense of God's ways. But we do not know all of God's ways as they apply in all times, in all places. Psalms 139.6 says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. God's ways are often a mystery beyond our understanding. It is possible that we also are guilty of sometimes ignorant judgments against our family and friends and fellow brothers and sisters of the Lord and co-workers. But it doesn't have to be friends who accuse us. Oh. 
unlike Job, most of us are quite ready to accuse ourselves. When I was in prayer and studying this, this message and preparing it, a lot of times our, our issues and our, our, our problems come from without. But oh, how many times do we stand ready to accuse ourselves? Anyone who has ever tasted failure has pondered, what have I done to deserve this? It's natural and not altogether incorrect. Sometimes out of sheer laziness, sometimes out of sheer bad data or incompetence, we make poor decisions that cause us to fail at work. However, not all failures are a direct result of our own shortcomings. Many are a result of circumstances outside of our control. Sometimes it's just stuff outside of our control. Some of us, work, we work in some complex workplaces. There's many factors that are competing for your attention. There are situations that they're hard to explain, Pastor. There's decisions where outcomes are impossible to predict and we hang that up on our shoulders and we carry this. And at the end of the day, when something does go wrong, we end up blaming ourselves. What could I have done different? How could I have responded? Job's friends moved from questioning what Job did wrong to questioning whether Job had abandoned God. Along the way, the friends encouraged Job, why don't you just return back to God? Bildad says, Job, make a supplication to the Almighty. Make a supplication so your future will be very great and filled with laughter and shouts of joy. Eliphaz adjures him, if you will return to the Almighty, you will be restored like he left God. Like God went on vacation and he needed to pursue after God. But, you know, when you're talking to someone, sometimes that's good advice. But in this situation, sometimes we do turn away from God. And we need to be called back to him. However, Job has not done anything to deserve his suffering. And the effects of his friend's attacks is to make Job begin to doubt himself. And if the devil can ever begin to cause you to doubt yourself, he'll win the battle. If he'll ever cause some little seed of doubt in your spirit and in your mind, you'll begin to doubt yourself and then your self-worth and your self-esteem. It'll cause depression to set in. It'll cause agitation. It'll cause all manner of confusion in your mind. You won't know right from wrong. And, and, and in Job's situation, just when he needed his friends to believe in him, they keep him from believing in himself. God help us that we never destroy our brothers and sisters from believing in themselves. They've got enough hell they're going through. They've got enough situation. Oh, could it be coming out of our mouth? I believe in you. I believe in who you are. I believe in what you can accomplish. You may have fallen, but get back up again. You may have made a mistake, but get back in the fight. You may have had failure in your life, but I'm not going to push you further down. Oh, I feel like preaching tonight. Ooh, hallelujah. My God, I don't want you to ever doubt yourself. This is a safe place. If you fall, you can get back up again. 
Oh, this is not a judgment. This, this is not a house of judgment. This is a place of mercy. How can you say, well, if God's still on the mercy seat, how can I sit on the judgment seat? I want to stay on the seat of mercy because I don't know when I'm going to need it. I don't know when my babies are going to need it. I don't know. But as long as I'm giving mercy, I'm going to err on the side of mercy. You may not think they deserve it, but I'm going to err on the side of mercy. Oh, it don't don't cost you anything. It costs you a little pride to give mercy. It'll cost you a little bit of trying to prove your side of the story. But one day you're going to need mercy. One day I'm going to need mercy. And I want somebody to say, here, mercy. Here's your mercy. Oh, but it's much like, but it's much like a bank account. You can't withdraw more than you've put in. I don't ever want it to be, Brother Ed. I don't, Brother Joseph, I don't ever want to get to the bank of God. If God has a bank and mercy is the currency, I don't ever want to get there and say, God, I need mercy. And he looks at me and says, non-sufficient fund. You ain't put enough, you ain't gave enough to be able to withdraw. Oh, just when he needed his friends to believe in him, they kept him from believing in himself. Mm. And, and I'm gonna say this. This this goes to this whole this is first family. How can they support him when they have already made up their mind about him? It's hard to help somebody when you've already made up your mind about them. It's hard to give mercy. Well, well, they deserve what they're getting by God. Be careful. You don't know the whole story. You don't know all they've been through. You don't know the other side. You're only seeing in part, but God sees in whole. But oh, I want to be on that side that says we may have some prodigals come back home. And we will. We already are seeing that. We may see some people that we used to go to church with and they walk through those doors. Well, I know about God help us and I rebuke that spirit in the name of Jesus. I want this house to be known. If you've fallen, this is a place you can come. If you've walked away from, this is a place you can come. If you're struggling with addiction, come to this house. We're not gonna make an opinion about you before we take you to the presence of God and let God have the final say. I'm just glad there was a church that didn't give up on me. I stand here today a product of mercy. I stand here today a product of a pastor. Come on. Come on, get back involved. Come on. You still got a calling on your life. Job had wisdom many Christians don't have. He knows to direct his, oh. Let me just say this. This ain't in the notes, but if if you felt some more attitudes and spirits let me help you direct your emotions at God rather than at yourself and to others around you if they talk about you they talked about him if they lie on you they lied on him but just let your emotions go to the throne of God let your heartbeat go toward him and not yourself and not them. 
if Satan is the accuser of the brethren, we don't need to join his forces. If Satan is the accuser, of, we, we don't need to join sides with him. No, no, I want to be on the other side. Come on. Come on this side. Come on this side of life. Come on. Me and you, we're going to make it. I'm going to listen. I'm going to try to help you. I'm going to try to be the brother or sister, whatever you may need. I'm probably not going to have all the answers, but I can listen and I can pray and I can encourage. There was something about Job that I wish we could all get right here tonight. First family. Job had a revelation that the source of his blessings and his adversities was God. When you know your blessings and adversities come from God, you take your complaint to the source. You don't take it to Facebook. You don't take it to Instagram. You don't take it to Twitter before you take it to God. But when you take it to God, listen at what Job said in Job 13. But I would speak to the Almighty and desire to argue my case with God. How many are my iniquities and my sins? Make known my transgression and my sin. Why do you hide your face and count me as your enemy? God, he's going to the source. He's going to the throne of God. He acknowledges. He don't understand God's ways. He does great things and unsearchable and marvelous things without number, Job 5 and 9. He knows he can never prevail in an argument against God. Are you hearing me? Job 9 said, if one wished to contend with him, no one could answer him once in a thousand. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has resisted him and succeeded? This is Job talking about our God. But he knows his anguish has to come out somewhere. Sometimes you just got to get along with God. Sometimes you just got to get in that prayer closet or in that vehicle. And you just got to take a ride. And you just got to say, God, if I could argue my case with you. You're arguing with the creator of heaven and earth. You're arguing with the man. Heaven is his throne. Earth is his footstool. His footstool and you're going to try to tell him what to do. But he still lets that anguish get out. He doesn't bottle it up. But Job 7.11 says, Therefore I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Job understood, better to direct it at God who can handle it easy than against himself or those he loves who cannot. We all know the demons that plague us after failure. Anybody ever faced any demons after failure? We second guess ourselves during sleepless nights of self-torment. Lies, you'll never be happy again. You'll never find anybody. You, you, you won't ever find anybody that would cause you to live in this life happily who will love you and respect you and honor you even with your mistakes. I'm preaching to somebody, right? The lies of hell that torment us and cause us sleepless nights 
plague us after failure. Even if it feels like the holy thing to do. We try to protect God by blaming ourselves. Failure causes us to blame ourselves in an attempt to protect God. God don't need protecting. He don't need defending. He's God and God all by himself. It's kind of like the truth. The truth don't need defending. It just needs a platform to be displayed upon. The truth, the, the truth is the truth. It don't need defending. It just needs a platform to be displayed. That's what we're doing tonight. We're declaring the sovereignty of our God, the truth of our God. And what we need to do is allow it to arise in our spirit that, so that we will believe what he said in his word. When we second guess ourselves like this, imagine how we second guess our friends when we're second guessing our God. Sometimes we're not even really aware of it, I believe. But Job's friends, they show us how it's done. In their eagerness to protect God from Job's, his, his protests per se, they increase their attacks on Job. I'm coming down for a quick landing. In their eagerness to protect Job or protect God from Job's protest, they increase their attacks on Job. Yet over the centuries, we read the story of Job Job has been viewed or people reading of Job have viewed the friends as tools of Satan and not of God. God doesn't need protecting. He can take care of himself. Satan would like nothing more than to prove to God that Job served God only because God blessed him so richly. An admission by Job that he has done something wrong when in reality he has not would be the first step toward validating the accuser's attack. Let that sink in. Just, I'll give you an example. Eliphaz's last speech concentrates on putting God above reproach. Can a mortal be the, of use to God? Can even the wisest be of service to him? Is not God high in the heavens? Agree with God and be at peace. Job 22. If the Almighty is your gold and your precious silver, then you will delight yourself in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. You will pray to him and he will hear you. Listen to this. Listen to what they're saying. Job, however, is not trying to blame God. Oh, if you don't catch anything else that I've said tonight, write this down. Job is not trying to blame God. He is trying to learn from God. Oh, God, help us. Despite the adversity God has permitted to afflict Job Job believes that God can use this experience To shape his soul for the better How do you know that? Do you really believe Job really felt that? Oh yeah 
Because Job 23.10, when God has tested me, I shall come out like gold. Job 23.14, for he will complete what he appoints for me, and many such things are in his mind. Oh. When he gets through with my appointment, whatever it may be, when God gets finished with it, it's going to accomplish what it started. What you may not see tonight, what you may not see in the future, there are a lot of people today that are going through things that do not understand what God has appointed for them. But when God fulfills the appointment and he fulfills the things that are of, of his mind, God sits back and says, okay, Job, you're getting ready to pass this test. You're getting ready to see my hand at work. You've not falsely accused yourself. You've not falsely accused your brethren. You have come to me with your legitimate complaints and your, your legitimate questions of why. Now I'm going to reveal my hand and pull back the curtain and show you. You've already got a revelation of it. When I'm done testing you, Son, your story's gonna be talked about for generations to come. When you're done with this test, when you're done and you've passed what, what you're about to do, I'm gonna show my hand and you'll be talked about from generation to come. I don't know who I'm preaching to this, this evening, but if we can walk out of this building in a few moments with this declaration, I'm learning from God in my trial. I'm learning from God in my calamity. I'm learning from God in my sickness. I'm learning from God in my disease. I don't understand cancer. I hate cancer. I don't understand it. But I can tell you when God gets finished, glory is produced. I've seen families come back together in a funeral that were ostracized. I don't understand things like this. I've seen family units rise and be knit together that could have not otherwise happened. Now I don't understand that. That's God's ways, not my ways. I've seen tragedy bring families together. I've seen tragedy. I've seen things happen. I've seen job losses or so we thought. I've seen white slips be given to you're no longer employed. Oh God, what are we going to do? And God, oh got you covered. I've got a better door over here open. You can't see what I've appointed unto you. You can't see what my hand's about to do. I'm getting ready to bless you and not just bless you. I'm going to bless you double. You don't understand it today but all if I could just hang on and understand he's my very present help in the time of trouble. He is my redeemer and he's my healer. I see myself coming through this. That's where we, I see myself coming through. I may have another chemo there. I may have, a, I may have to go through another immune therapy session. I may have to go through another round of radiation, but I'm coming through this. I may lose my job, but I'm coming through that. God, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And if the steps are ordered, the stops are stored. The, the stops are ordered. If the stops are ordered, the pauses are ordered. The steps, the stops, the goes. The ebb and the flow of life are ordered by God. 
God's getting ready to roll back the curtain. I feel this in the Holy Ghost. I feel a seasonal shift. I feel a seasonal shift coming. Some of you have been walking through seasons of turmoil. But prayers have been heard. Supplications have been heard. Yet you've been told some things. You've been told some things by friends. You've been told to give up and walk away. You've been told to throw in the towel to quit. But I'll use the words that I used last Sunday when God began to rebuke the friends that had spoken to Job. God, it, it's amazing to me that the 42 chapters of Job, God virtually stays silent. But when God speaks, he comes with rebuke in his voice. All those friends that have been passing their opinions, all those friends that have caused Job to want to accuse himself, but he refrains. God, blame God. What have you done to others? What, what sin is in your life? And the Lord would say this in Job 42, 7. And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Timnite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends. He just lumped them all together. For ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right as my servant Job has. So for 42 chapters, Job's just been declaring the righteousness of God, the goodness of God. He's just been combating everything they would throw at him. And finally God says, I've had enough. You've not told Job what was right. You've not spoke of my counsel right. You've not spoke of my word right. And here's what you're going to have to do to write the course. You're going to take seven bullocks and seven rams. And you're going to go to my servant Job. I'm reading what's in the word of the Lord. You're going to offer up yourselves. Nobody's going to do it for you. There's some things you just got to do yourself. Repentance is something you have to do yourself. You can't have somebody else do it for you. This was a repentance offering. This was a get right with God offering. This was an humbling yourself offering. But you want to make things even work. God has a way of kind of humbling us. I, I feel like the friends were okay. Okay, God, I'll do, I'll, I'll go sacrifice the bullocks. I can do the burnt offering. But God put an and and I want you to do the sacrifice. I want you to repent. And I'm going to prove to you the faith of God. Job shall pray for you. The very person, the very person that you've talked, you've not shared my proper counsel you've not shared my heart you've not encouraged him along the way when Job gets done praying for you I'll accept lest I deal with you after your folly and that you have not spoken of me the thing which is right like my servant you've got an option you can repent and let Job pray for you or I'll deal with you after your folly. So Eliphaz the Timnite and Bildad the Shuite and Zophar the Namathite went 
I love did according as the Lord commanded them. The Lord also accepted Job. So look at this. Job's radical, miraculous deliverance was tied to obedience as well as his friends' outcome were tied to obedience. Those three men could have went to Job for prayer and Job could have resisted. Job's future would have been it would have been unrealized. It would have vanished right before him. Those men could have chose not to go to Job and their future would not have been realized. But the moment those two worlds come together, the moment those two worlds collided per se, there was a repenting, there was an I'm sorry, there was a prayer meeting that took place. God accepted both friends and Job. And the words would be penned and the Lord returned or the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Prayer made all the difference in the world. In his future and in his past. Oh, I feel this. The repentance of the friends took care of the past. But the prayer of Job took care of all of their futures. See, repentance takes care of the past. But there's something that can be birthed in prayer that will unlock your future. What if a good prayer meeting at an altar, what if a good consecration at an altar, God says, the the time is now. I'm flipping the switch. I'm going to give you twice as you had before. I know you've lost. I know you've endured. I know you've been faithful. But I'm going to reward you. But I'm an old man. I'm an old man. How can I have 10 kids again? How can I rebound? And my Lord, I've lost those 500. I've lost those 1,000, 3,000. I've lost all of the camels and oxen. And all my, how can I do it? Let me just tell you how powerful God is. In verse 16. This is where some, this is where some of you are about to step across the threshold to live. After this live Job 140 years what are you trying to tell me you ain't seen your best days yet you've not lived your best moments yet you're getting ready to enjoy the double portion blessing you're getting ready to enjoy the fruit of your labor you're getting ready to enjoy what you've worked hard for what you've labored for what you've endured for you're getting ready to live 140 years after all the mess you've been after all 
You've come too late to tell me that we've come this far and this is going to be the end. Oh, no, 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 no. We're getting ready to achieve and go beyond and far beyond where we have ever been before as a church, as a collective body and families in this room. After this, I'd like for you to identify what this is. Put whatever label you want it as you stand to your feet. I'll help you tonight. I'm going to just start calling names. I'm going to just start calling things. And in the Holy Ghost, some of you are about to feel something shift. After cancer. After divorce. After job loss. After betrayal. After depression, after attempted suicide, after addiction, after dot, 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 after being lied upon, after being walked out upon, after rejection, after you're about to get ready to live. I just wonder if there's somebody in this room that's saying, Pastor, I'm, get, I'm getting ready to live my best life. I'm not getting ready to just live a, a, a normal life, just an average. I'm getting ready to live my best life. My best life. Now, I want to open this altar up to, to, to this whole body. Guest, member, it doesn't matter. If you're ready to live the best life, the captivity of Job is about to be loosened and turned around. Feel free to walk to this altar.